Chat with Traders is sponsored by Trade the Pool. Are concerns about limited buying power, insufficient capital, or fear of losing your own money preventing you from advancing your trading capabilities? Trade the Pool is an online stock trading prop firm that offers funding for stock traders. Demonstrate your skills, trade their capital, and keep your profits. You can engage in intraday trading and now swing trading on Trade the Pool with any U.S. stock or ETF. The procedure is straightforward. Pay an evaluation fee, successfully complete the evaluation, and get funded. Visit tradethepool.com forward slash chat to learn more. You've seen the headlines. Bonds are making a comeback. But if you've ever tried to invest in bonds, you know what a clunky, complicated, broken experience it can be. That's why at Public, they took fixed income and fixed it. Now you can find, evaluate, and buy thousands of bonds with an investing experience designed this century. Add fixed income to your portfolio with corporate, treasury, and municipal bonds. Go to public.com forward slash bonds podcast to get started. This podcast is sponsored by Public. Full disclosures can be found at public.com forward slash bonds. The biggest secret of the best traders in the world is that they're just like everyone else. However, they've worked hard to learn the markets and discover what works and what doesn't. But how can you hear about these journeys and get in on the strategies and tactics they use? You can do it by listening to Chat with Traders. Here's your host, Aaron Fifield. Hey there, what's up? Welcome to episode 21 with a very special guest, Adam Grimes. Adam is author of the very popular book titled The Art and Science of Technical Analysis, which covers market structure, price action, and trading strategies. He is also the Chief Investment Officer of Waverly Advisors and host of the Market Life podcast. Adam's career dates back almost 20 years. During that time, he has traded a wide range of asset classes both independently and alongside a well-respected prop firm. Plus, he also did a stint on the New York Mercantile Exchange. Over the next hour or so, Adam shares his interesting outlook on the market and many aspects of trading. So as you can imagine, this includes plenty of discussion around technical analysis, but you'll also pick up a number of great psychology tips to help you with the mental aspect. Enjoy, team. Here's this week's guest, Adam Grimes. Adam, what's up? How you going, man? Doing pretty well. How are you doing? I am doing very well. Thanks so much for coming on. How's your week been trading? Fantastic. Uh, it's it's you know it's been a interesting week to see the markets pushing up against the highs. I I think there's a lot of hidden strength, but um, one of the principles of markets is they tend to do whatever will hurt the greatest number of people, and I think there I think there's probably a lot of the quote, weekend longs here, the weekend bulls that uh, could set up a pretty good shakeout market. So really interested to see what happens over the next week and a half or so. Yeah, I think that will be interesting and um, very true as well. So, I mean, again, thanks so much for coming on. It's an honor to be speaking with you and it's, you know, really great to have you here. So I'd like to kick this off by asking you, where did it all start for you? So take us back, I think it's like nearly 20 years and share with us how you got into trading, and I'm also keen to hear what you were doing before uh, this point in time too. Well, I literally had no clue or knowledge about financial markets. I think it would be, 
it would be difficult for somebody to start with less <laughs> with less knowledge than I had. Uh, I was a musician, and I had just graduated from college with a degree in classical music composition. Uh, I was a pianist and composer, and I had always. You know, you know, part of the, the formal education of a musician was uh, really the discipline with the work on the art. And I, I was very accustomed to to working for long periods of time on things that required a lot of detail. You know, I'd sit for eight hours a day and work, but that's not how I thought trading would be. I, I got this thing in the mail with a crazy guy in a cowboy hat that had a really good ad and you know, send off for a few hundred dollars. He's going to tell you how to how to open a trading account with two thousand dollars and basically corner the cattle or soybean market by pyramiding into trends and turn your two thousand dollars into a million dollars. And you know, and I knew that that was some marketing BS. And I knew that that wasn't really possible. But I also it was frankly it was good marketing, and I thought there was probably a seed of truth in that. So. I sent off first course and I studied and I learned the magical patterns and uh, called in. You know, I mean, this was <laughs> this was the days of dial-up modems and there was no internet to really to speak of. It was still a, a little bit more of a you know infantile stage, I guess, maybe the word. Uh, so you you would call into the hotline and an answering machine would pick up and a tape recorder would play back a message. There was no emails. So I, I, armed with this, I opened a small account and promptly lost it in like two trades, and repeated that process a few times. And um, then really, I suppose that's the point where most people would have said, "Okay, my get rich quick scheme didn't work." Now you know, move on. But something about the process really fascinated me and about seeing the patterns in markets. And I dug deeper, learned more and realized that uh, it was going to be a lot harder and started day trading. And I was fortunate to, and day trading was a little bit different back then, but I was fortunate to be day trading the British pound uh, during the Asian financial crisis. And that, that, that worked out pretty well. Uh, it, it, it was good times. Um, along the way, I realized there was a lot going on that I didn't understand and that I just didn't have the analytical tools, analytical mindset. You know, as a kid, I was really into science and science and math and uh it was kind of a toss-up whether I was going to go to university to, to to study music or to study some science-related field. I went for music. Uh, so even though I didn't really have the formal training and the analytical skills I needed, I, I kind of understood the mindset. I understood what I needed to do. So I set about giving myself that education and you know, taught myself math and statistics and calculus and kind of my spare time. As I, that, that was part of my learning to trade journey. You know, people people learn chart patterns while well, I was doing that, but I was also learning calculus on my couch at night, um, and had some points where it had varying degrees of success, and it took some time off at different times to explore some other things. I always wanted to be a chef, so I got a culinary education, and you know, it, it, it allowed for a pretty interesting life. And then I uh, started day trading the uh, stock index futures and uh, spent a good deal of time. And, and, you know, and the reason I'm telling you these transitions is that every transition was a little bit of a learning curve. 
and spent quite a few years day trading and you know same pattern not really knowing what I was doing then figuring it out and eventually I migrated to a style um, uh, well, I guess I should also tell you, you know, I, I, I got a formal finance education, I got an MBA, uh, came to New York, spent a few years uh, on the New York Mercantile Exchange, worked for a prop firm in New York for a few years, and launched my firm, Waverly Advisors, 2009-2010. Uh, and somewhere along the line there, I kind of gravitated to a trading style that people might describe as swing trading, but it's, it's the... It's the right balance for me between having a sane lifestyle. You know, if, if you're if you're an intraday trader, you really need to be glued in front of the screen every moment. And again, I had no problems doing that because I was used to sitting in front of an instrument for eight hours a day. So uh, I had no problem sitting in front of the market for every tick when it was open. But there's a life outside of the market, and there's also a it just clicks better with my psychology, I think, to to be able to step back and give the market a little bit more time to breathe. So, you know, I'm, a, uh, I guess, a cross-asset, multi-asset swing trader. Uh, I've kind of been all over the place, every product, but um, trade both trend-following, mean reversion systems, um, stocks, currencies, futures, uh, options, and typical holding period now kind of target two weeks but of course there's a widespread you know everybody who's a two-week swing trader what we like more than anything is to get those trades like we had in currencies last year we can hold them for months and months and months and just do nothing and make money but uh, generally speaking looking for about two-week holds so that's kind of my trading experience in a nutshell there okay that's excellent so Looking back, what would you say were some of the things you struggled with most of all as you were starting out during that time? Well, definitely being undercapitalized. And I mentioned that because I think a lot of traders are undercapitalized. And the, um, you know, it, it, it's kind of a seductive thing because I think one of the keys to trading success is, you know, there, there's no. There's no one most important thing, but there are a number of things that without these things, you can't succeed in the long run. And one of those is money management, which simply means you're betting small enough that no bad, no single bad trade is going to take you out of the game, but big enough that your trades matter. And if you're undercapitalized, you simply can't trade small enough. You know, if you're, if you're an undercapitalized futures trader, you might put on a trade where the risk has to be. 50% of your account. You're basically buying a lottery ticket. Good luck. Um, so being undercapitalized was definitely one of those things. And uh, I know that a lot of a lot of traders I've talked to over the years, they th- 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 this is a common problem. And I think that a lot of the a lot of the issues that I thought that I was dealing with psychologically actually went back to being undercapitalized. Um, I think one of the other things that I struggled with was and this is probably this is probably not a negative but you know frankly I spent a lot of time looking at things that just didn't work and I guess that was I I, I try to a lot of the stuff that I write about and put out now it's I it, it's stuff that I wish that I had had when I was learning <laughs> I wish that that somebody had told me to, don't, don't don't waste your time going down that road but maybe I had to anyway maybe that was just kind of my process of development. But uh, I, I think those two things 
really working with models, and I use models in a very general sense, just with ways of understanding how the market works that were not based in reality. And also early struggles with being undercapitalized. Those were probably the, and then of course, you know, from that flows a bunch of emotional and psychological issues, but uh, they, they weren't necessarily psychological issues. They, they were really grounded in, in issues of reality. Yeah, okay. So those are two really interesting points. So you mentioned you were sort of, you felt undercapitalized. What would you sort of, say i know there's not like one number but like as sort of a guide what would be a good amount of capital to start with because obviously you don't want to go uh too hard and put too much money in because then you're risking you know you're risking too much so what would you say would be a good amount to start with just roughly well i i think it varies depending depending on who you are and what you what you are going to trade, you know, I, I'm I'm not giving you. I'll give you a few a few solid answers here. But here's how I would think about it. So the answer is very different if you are somebody who is 65 years old and retiring after a successful career somewhere else, and now you want to learn to trade. You know, that person obviously has to has different concerns, different things they need to focus on. For somebody who is basically like I was an idiot just out of university. Um, you could make a case from the standpoint of game theory that with the with the potential payoff probability and distributions that you could risk a significant portion of your net worth in trading. And if it doesn't work out, then you just lose it. You're still young. You can move on to something else. You know, the, the upside's a lot bigger than the downside. So I think the answer very much depends on where you are in your life. It also depends on how active are you going to be with this trading thing. Is this going to be something that you do and kind of leave simmering in the background while you go about your job as a web developer or chef or whatever? Uh, or is this going to be something that you focus on? Are you going to sit in front of the screen for eight hours a day for many years? And by the way, you know, I, I say that and most people think, well, choice number two is obviously the right choice. I don't know that it is. I think, you know, again, depending on who you are, you could be very successful with choice number one, but it's a different type of commitment. Uh, it also is. It also depends what you want to trade. You know, are you going to, are you going to trade something like currencies where you can trade very small? The question here is you is you lose. Now, right, let's notice my uh, Freudian slip there. As uh, you learn, you are going to lose, and you know, it, 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 as a beginning trader, you are going to lose money. That, that is the reality. You are going to lose. You are probably going to lose consistently, and you are probably going to lose consistently for a considerable period of time. So what do we need to do? Well, we need to limit the size of those losses. So for the beginning trader, the question becomes, how can you limit your losses? Now, there's a bad way to do this, and the bad way is to take trades with, quote, very small risk. I think it's one of the silliest things that we say. You know, I'm going to get into this trade. Let's say you're trading something in U.S. dollars, and I'm going to risk five cents. I'm going to get into this trade, and I'm going to risk two ticks. It's silly. 
absolute silliness. That's not how you limit your risk. How you limit your risk is your unit size by trading small enough. You know, you, you can trade, let's just, let's go to the absurd limit. You can trade one, or you'd even do more in currencies. Let's say you trade one share of stock and you, you buy a $50 single share of stock. Well, your risk is pretty clearly defined, and that can go against you by 50%, and you're not feeling any financial pain. So I think it's really a question of if you're a futures trader, even those minis can be significant losses. And then there is a tendency to say, I'm going to try to, quote, nickel and dime this market. I'm going to use very tight stops, where if you were trading something like you know currencies or stocks where you could really trade very small units, then your risk could be smaller. So that's the number that matters. It's what you're going to lose on each trade is a percentage of your trading capital. And frankly, we just want to keep that number as small as we can. And you don't want to, you certainly don't want to get into this, and many people do, with the idea that you're going to open a trading account and you're going to live out of that trading account. You know, the the initial fantasy is I'm going to open this trading account. I'm going to pay school XYZ.com $15,000 for their online trading education. And then I'm going to start trading. I'm going to make enough money to pay all my bills. Well, when that doesn't work out, then the fallback plan is, okay, well, that didn't work. I'm going to continue to learn to trade because they told me I have to work on my psychology now. And I'm also going to pay my bills out of this trading account. That's not a good plan because you're going to deplete your trading account. What you really need is some amount that you can set aside and you can lose little tiny bits out of that account each month and you're not really going to feel pain. So, you know, I kind of think the probably a realistic number for trading capital, if it was the the number I've thrown around is $50,000. You could probably do it with less, but $50,000, if that was your only, you know, and again, you're not taking rent out of that. You're not taking food out of that. That's your trading capital. Uh, you know, knock on wood, you could do it with less, but uh, $50,000, three to five years, I think would be a realistic learning curve for most people. I just want to pick up on the other point you made earlier, and that was learning trading methods that are not based on, as you said, sort of realities, like just learning things that don't work. How do you know these things don't work until sort of afterwards? I mean, is that kind of the power of hindsight or how, like, when did you discover they don't work? Was it afterwards? Well, there's a certain, yeah, (laughs) afterwards and then, you know, after what? Fill in the blank, right? After, after, um, trading results are so variable. You know, I could give you a magic coin until you just go long when it comes up heads and you know short when it comes up tails you could use that coin for quite a while before you realize it didn't really work and i think that's the way it is with a lot of trading systems and a lot of trading results are so variable that if i give the same magic coin to 20 traders for instance in a chat room some of those traders are going to have really good results You know, I I mean, imagine that. Imagine this as an experiment in reality. Say that I literally did that. I sent you in the mail or in the post uh, a coin, and you would take your trades off of that coin, and then we'd have a group of people talking about your results. You would really find that a few people in that group had very good results. 
And you would wonder what was wrong with your coin flipping skills. I mean, maybe you'd be one of the lucky ones. Who knows? And so it's really hard to evaluate trading results based on what other people say, what other people experience. Um, there's all this hearsay, plus add to this that people lie, people exaggerate, uh, people write books and articles without firsthand experience. So you just don't know until you experience it yourself. And then even when you experience it yourself, you certainly can do something that works and have a string of losing trades. That's, that's just part of the business. Um, so that was why I really wanted to develop the right quantitative tools for looking at market data and the right mindset, the right... Uh, I guess, scientific approach to thinking about market data in terms of hard statistics. And I started with, you know, I, I was really taken in by uh, a lot of the secret methods. I spent a lot of time looking at GAN, a, a lot of time looking at Elliott Wave. And, you know, now I don't use those things. So it's kind of funny when I say something negative, uh, people are very dismissive. Well, you haven't looked at, well, yeah, I am willing to bet I probably went deeper into those things than 999 people out of a thousand. Uh, I, I was the one that spent more time that was, you know, I mean, literally piles and piles of charts drawn by hand, looking at angles. Uh, and, and then when you actually start to understand how the mind sees patterns and randomness, your standards for proof change. Why do why do I know this works? Can't you just see it works? Well, no, you can't just see it works because you can't trust your perception. You can't trust what your eyes see, what your brain sees in patterns. Your brain will find patterns, so you can't trust that. So you have to have the statistical tools to look at the market. And then when you do use those tools and you start to see, wait, I can't really tell any difference between this thing and a, uh, you know, purely random flip of a coin, this tool is not really adding anything to the market, you start to get very cynical. And you start to feed more and more things into the magic number cruncher. And you start to see it's really um, some, it's an emotional experience. It was for me because I thought all these things worked. And I even had success with some of these things. Um, I had, I, I, I would have been the person who would have had a screaming argument in a bar defending Fibonacci ratios because I'd use them in my own trading and I was making money. So you're an idiot to say they don't work. How dare you? Look at my trading results. End of discussion. Well, no, not end of discussion. Um, I was making money, but it wasn't because of the Fibonacci ratios. And as you know, as I said earlier when we spoke before the interview. Uh, I think there are a lot of people that are using tools that don't work and they don't know they don't work and they're making money. And so then it becomes a problem from two standpoints. You know, if the person, if something breaks, they're not going to know what's broken. They're going to think, well, you know, my magic moving average doesn't work anymore. It used to work. Now I'm not making money. So I better look at different moving averages or combining moving averages. And well, that wasn't really why they were making money, but because that trader didn't understand why he was making money. He doesn't know what to fix. It also makes it impossible to teach. 
because at one time I would have written a book about trading that would have talked about moving averages and Fibonacci ratios. And I would have shown you the trades that I was making based off of those things. It had nothing to do with Fibonacci's moving average. They, they, they just happened to be there. At, and they were actually obscuring the true things that were going on in the market that were driving my trading. So, you know, for, for me, it really became it really became a matter of feeding one sacrificial lamb out of after the other into that meat grinder of the statistics and seeing that this doesn't work, this doesn't work, this doesn't work. Oh, that works, but it doesn't work very well. But okay, this doesn't work, this doesn't work. This, oh, that doesn't work very well. But And then your standards change. And you begin to realize, wait a minute, that thing that doesn't work very well, that's what an edge looks like in the market. And wow, holy crap. It's an edge and it works and it has worked. If I go back and I look at these different time periods of markets, oh, it worked in the 1960s. It works in futures. It works in stocks. Oh, it worked in grains in the 1400s in Europe. Um, okay, so it probably works, but wow, it's a paper-thin edge. Of course I have to trade this with complete discipline. Of course I have to trade this with with ironclad money management and risk management. And of course, I can't ever be arrogant and say, I know gold market is going to collapse because I know my edge, I have seen it. I have seen it over hundreds of thousands of statistical tests. And I I should be able to say the word statistical, statistical tests. And I know how thin that edge is. So how can I not respect the reality of how thin that edge is and how difficult it is to use it to make money. So, you know, it's, on one sense, it's very humbling because it just strips away all of these misconceptions, all of these beliefs, all of these things that we wished were true, um, all of the, there, there is no magic technique. And it is humbling because you realize how thin the edge is. But it also brings confidence because then you realize, you know, wait a minute, these traders who talk about their edge in terms of, say, a card counter in Vegas, well, my edge is a little bit bigger than his. And those guys can make money. And I can too. So it just, to to, to me, it's really been a journey of, uh, of focusing on what's real and learning what's real and learning to develop the right tools to deal with those paper thin statistical edges. Yeah. Okay. So, how long was it until you sort of reached that point where you were confident with your trading? You felt like you had an edge, and you were doing quite well in the sense of sort of pulling out consistent profits. How long sort of was that time from when you first got started? Uh, I would say the first the first couple years. I mean, in a way, it, the answer is a little bit artificial because, as I said, like, you know, geopolitical events kind of aligned at the same time I was day trading the pound. I just happened to be in the right place at the right time. Um, so I, I don't know that my answer is really accurate there. But, you know, I'd say the first year was a disaster. I had no clue what I was doing. Um, I have experienced, 
I think one thing I've experienced as I've gone into new markets and new timeframes, my learning curve, there's still been a learning curve each time I've had a transition, but that learning curve has been less and less and less. And there's still a bump. You know, you'd, you'd, you'd be silly no matter how experienced you are to, to go into something new and just, you know, start firing for effect, going full size. Um, I would say, you know, you use the word confidence. I don't know. I don't really know how I feel about that word because I think my every time I have been confident, I've done something kind of stupid, and, and it hasn't. So I, I, I think I function best when I function best in the market when I really focus on having the right kind of humility and realizing that we are, you know, to kind of put a religious wrapper on it, you know, we're in the hands of an angry market. You know, you're, 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 you're a very tiny trader in the face of an angry market. And you, you just have to, you just have to be very respectful of that. So, you know, I, I mean, I, I guess I'm confident I'm conf- I'm not confident in the way that I think a lot of people would you, you see you see the people the talking heads on television who are so confident you know I, I mean I've never every time I've had that kind of confidence it hasn't really worked in the market but I think it's it's been an evolving process it's probably been part of me maturing as a person uh, I would say I certainly had some good success within my first five years it was probably probably not until I'd been trading pretty actively 10 years looking back that I should have had any real degree of confidence. And, you know, there, there, there were still some periods in there that were pretty rough. Are you a developing or seasoned day trader who trades the U.S. markets? Is the only thing stopping you from getting to the next level is having enough capital to trade? Trade the Pool is a unique online stock trading prop firm that funds stock traders worldwide. Not having to risk your own capital can help you focus on other things like making better decisions on your trades. There's no PDT rules to worry about. You got more than 12,000 stocks and ETFs to trade, long or short, and professional tools at your side. How you get funded is you show them your skills through a straightforward evaluation process. Once you pass the evaluation, you get funded and trade with their pool of money and split the profits. Don't let the lack of buying power, capital, or fear of losing your own money prevent you from taking your trading to the next level. Visit tradethepool.com slash chat to learn more. Okay, so this is something we were talking about sort of off air and I found it really interesting and that was you talked about sort of the degrees and the levels of success and sort of as you hit certain points, certain things happen. Do you want to sort of um, just sort of go into that a little bit about the first degree of success that you mentioned? Sure. Well, I don't know that this is universal, but I, it's what I've seen with a lot of traders over a lot of uh, many, many years. Uh, and I've worked with a lot of traders in a lot of different places and capacities, uh, you know, as teaching, mentoring, friend, uh, co-suffering trader. And so, you know, it's a, a lot of different interactions. And even more interestingly, when I talk to people who have been in my situation, have worked with other traders, they've seen similar paths of development. So I don't know that this is universal, but I do think it applies to a lot of people. And basically, uh, what I would say to people is that this really, you're not going to learn to trade. That, I think that, that word, that, that, that concept needs to be eradicated. You're not going to learn to trade. What you're going to do is you're going to become a trader. 
You're going to grow into a trader. You're going to go through the development process of becoming a trader. You're going to become a trader. And if you are going to become a trader, there's going to be some learning. You're going to learn to trade along the way. And that's great. That's awesome. But uh, this trading journey is going to take you three to five years as kind of a use that as a benchmark. And people don't know what success looks like. Success is not, it's not that flashy web page you clicked on that shows you how to turn $2,000 into a million dollars in 30 days. That's fantasy. That's BS. We all know that. Um, what is, it, it's not even making a lot of money. The first degree of success is you stop losing money. You, and keep in mind that this could take three years. This could take three years. It could take five years where you are trading actively and actively on your time frame. You can be that guy I mentioned earlier who is the school teacher who is swing trading and looking at the markets when they're closed. As long as you're still involved in the ongoing flow and process of becoming a trader, that's okay. But a lot of people work and they take time away. You know, like I talk to people who've been trading for three years and you really dig into it and you find out, well, you know, of those three years, probably a year and a half, they took time off. They're away from the market. That doesn't really count. You've been doing it a year, a year and a half. So you're looking at three to five years, a pretty concentrated, continuous effort. Um, and that first degree of success is you are no longer losing money as far as transactions go. Now, you're still losing money. What are, you're, you're losing money. You're paying for data. You're paying commissions. You may be paying for some education. You may be paying for some type of market advisory or research. Those are legitimate expenses. And you are paying those expenses every month. And the way to think about you know, I mean, depending on how active a trader you are, month, week, quarter, when you evaluate your trading, I'll just say month, but you know, every period you evaluate, you are pretty much break even on your trades, but you're losing money on those other costs. That's success. You're no longer losing money in the market. Second stage of success is you're covering those costs. So your account at the end of this month. And, and remember, there's statistical variability here, so we're not talking utter consistency. Um, your account this month is the same number as it was the previous month, and you did not send a check to cover those costs. And then the next month is the same number. That's the next degree of success. And from that, you are now in the elite. You are in the ultra elite of people who tried to learn to trade. Uh, you are covering your cost as a trader. And that's the foundation you build from. And from there, then, you know, you know there's how, how many beginning traders talk about wanting to increase their size. Well, how are you doing? Uh, how, uh, I'm doing okay. No, how are you doing? Are you making money? No, I'm losing. But you want to increase your size because that's going to solve all of your problems, right? Of course not. Uh, so only once you have reached that foundation of you are not losing money, then you have the foundation from which you can begin to make money. And this is the point where you can start to think about increasing your size. You can start to think about uh, figuring out what you do and doing it better, continuing to do it more consistently. As you increase your size, by the way, you're going to have some psychological issues. Maybe. Most people do. Maybe not. Um, and then, you know, fr from that point, we can start thinking about the future of your development as a trader. And one of the things to realize is that even once you've reached that degree of success, you are going to have setbacks. You know, we would like to believe you put in the 
five years to get to the point where you can cover your commissions. And by the way, you tell most people this, they're not going to start on the journey at all. And maybe that's good. Maybe that's bad. I, personally, I'd rather have the, I'd rather have the realistic expectation, but if I'd had that when I started, I don't, I don't know what I would have done, but yeah, it's, so I don't know. Maybe I'm doing people disservice by telling it like it is, but <laughs> I, I, I think this is how it is. Um, and, you know, once you start making money, you are going to go through periods where you lose. When you go through stress in your life, uh, you know, it's very, very normal for a trader when uh, there's some sickness, whether it's in the family or, you know, something like a divorce or, you know, so, so some outside stress, depending how you trade may affect your trading you may go through significant drawdowns and that's just the nature of the business and you you have to be prepared for that yeah absolutely so that's really good i'd like to start getting into a little bit about um sort of more about how you trade and how you view technical analysis and that sort of thing so i heard um I heard, I think you might have mentioned it in one of your podcasts um, or something like that. And you said, you, we mentioned that you look at like hundreds of charts a day and sometimes up to 800 charts a day. So obviously you're just sort of skimming over these. What are the few things you look for just at a glance, like before deciding to skip to the next one or whether or not you're going to take a deeper look? Well, I think there is, so... There's a few things going on here. Um, I do look at a lot of charts, and I try to look at those with a very, um, I don't know what the right word is, but I, I try to be open to kind of the, the, the poking of intuition. I try to not do a whole lot of active processing. So I'm flipping through charts. I know what the chart is. I'm looking at pretty and, and you know generally when, when I say a chart I'm usually looking at at least two time frames um, I will do a lot of because I've kind of tried to step back and you know I've even recorded my screen to see what, what are you actually doing when you're doing this uh, I also do a lot of like going back to look at things like I will find myself going back to look at a ticker uh, four or five times and then going to related tickers so I'm not just dropping through a list of names. You know, some sometimes it will send me off to to look at related things. Uh, sometimes it will send me off to look at uh, you know other things in the sector. Sometimes I'll look at some spreads. But if, I, if I'm if I'm just flipping through charts, I'm looking for a few. Uh, a, a few patterns and one of those and, and they're simple you know i mean the, the, there's nothing that the, there's there's nothing too obtuse or secret or hidden here but basically i want to see markets that are making a strong move or have made a strong move in their recent history and if they have made a strong move then i want to know what happened after that strong move so for instance if a market's made a strong move up did it just collapse it did it make a strong move up and is it kind of consolidating near those highs? Did it make a strong move up on the weekly and now it's consolidating up there on the weekly? What's happening on the daily? How do the lows look on the daily? How are the tests of the lows made on the daily? So I'm looking at things like that and you know, there's not a lot of at this level, there's not really a lot of detailed analysis that goes in. I think that's an important part of me understanding 
uh, like the process that goes into me getting a read on the market. Uh, then I also use, I use a lot of screens, but I use, like I set my screens very wide. So like if I'm looking at a relative strength screen, it's still going to give me a hundred names. And then I'm going to go through those names and I'm going to pull out the 30 that I want to look at more. And then I'm going to go through those 30 and pull out the dozen that I'm really interested in. And those might pull up something because, you know, I mean, like there are times, for instance, I think there's a, I think there's a legitimate edge here. Like you'll start to see lots of very bullish setups in certain stocks. And you'll be like, okay, well, there's a bullish setup going. And, and you know, you kind of put it somewhere in the back of your head. Like, there's another one. There's a, wait a minute. That's that was like, that's like four energy stocks that look very strong. Well, what does the energy sector look like? Eh, nothing interesting. Okay, well, let's just keep going. Well, there's another one. There's another one. And, and you go back, you look at the sector, nothing interesting. You look at the market, nothing interesting. I've seen this over and over and over where you start to build like this kind of, it's kind of a bottom up approach where you start to see, a lot of, and if your patterns have an edge, this makes sense. Um, you start to see a lot of bullish support that's visible on individual stocks that you don't see in the broad market, and that's you know that's information that's not available to everybody in the market. And the way to process that, the way to put that together, I think is a legitimate edge. Now, there's nothing magical to it. I think anybody can learn to do it, but it's just a matter of it's a matter of going through those charts very quickly. Uh, you also, you know, you you might assume that you're just glancing at them, but really, you know these pretty well because you go through them all the time, and you've seen, you know, I, I mean, I, I guess I would make the argument that like, you know, four or five hundred charts is not really that many charts. Uh, it's funny you hear some people talk about their exhaustive work on twenty, you know, it's like. I, I don't really know what you're doing. Uh, 400, 500 is, is, is not really that many. You should be able, if, if, you, if you're engaged with the market all day, you should be able to get through that list with no stress whatsoever, three or four times a day, I think at least. Um, and because you're looking at them three or four times a day, you know them, you know how they develop, and you it, it, it's touching parts of your brain, parts of your processing capability, that you don't necessarily get from just you know there, there's no secret on a chart you you can't put a chart in front of you and say you know just t t t t tell me some hidden secret it's like you know everything is there uh, it, it's it's like music you know if you have ears you can hear what's going on uh, if 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 you if you can see the chart you can read the chart it's a matter then of understanding where the where the edges are where the patterns might mean and wrapping that all in a healthy dose of respect for the fact that most of what you see most of what you think you see even having done this work the majority of what you see may be uh just complete random noise that you, that's not significant that's fun that's fun right i mean <laughs> that's a really fun part of this yeah yeah for sure so you mentioned it a couple times in there and you've mentioned it earlier and pretty much every pro trader will talk about how you must have an edge and without it, you just sort of don't really stand a chance trading. Right. Um, right. So we've all heard that, but, but let's just be clear. What actually is an edge? Like how do you define that and how do you determine if you have one? Okay. Uh, well, one of the ways I think about this is... 
you can't think about this without, you know, I hate to get too mathematical. I hate to get too philosophical, but I, I don't think you can really understand this without at least having a, a working understanding of probability. You don't have to know equations, but you, you, you can get to this understanding through equations. Certainly you also, you know, like there are plenty of old school poker players who couldn't tell you what a probability space was, but they understand probability. And, uh, you have to have that kind of understanding. So I think some elements are to first of all, think what does it mean for something to be random? And we could talk about this for hours, but basically it means it's unpredictable. And if something is random, the classic example is flipping the fair coin, which is going to come up heads and tails 50% of the time, you know, um, and each coin flip has nothing to do with the coin flip that came before it, blah, blah, blah. We, we've all read and thought about examples like that. Some of us, some people have deeper formal math educations than I do. Many people certainly do. Uh, but the core understanding is if something is random like that, you can't use it to make money reliably. You may have strings of winning trades. You may, you may have long periods of time when you seem to be making money. But over the very, very long run, you are not going to be able to make money above whatever the market index offers. You know, I mean, that, that's kind of a key understanding that, for instance, if you're trading stocks, they go up, what, roughly 7.5% a year over a long period of time. So you have to be able to make more money than that. And your random system is probably going to get you 7.5%. So what it means to have an edge is that you have some edge over that randomness. And another way to think about it is you have something that is not random. So that that's the core understanding. You, you have something, you have identified something in the market. Now, I have to say something generally, because that something could be a pattern. That something could be something to do with fundamentals. That something could be something to do with a related market. That's something I suppose could even be something to do with your intuition. That would be a little bit harder to prove. Uh, there certainly could be edges that we can't really wrap our hands around statistically. We have to remember that. Again, you have to be humble with the application of the tools. But very simply, what having an edge means is that you have something that is not random. And the sad reality is that most things you look at, you know, when I talk about the number cruncher, uh, you, you put it in, you see it, it's just the same as random. And now, you know, the problem is, and people who know statistics are already raising their hands to point out, you never really know if something is random or not. There's no surefire way to know. Um, you could have some, the, the best we can do is say within a certain probability, you know, we, we can say, this very probably is not random. If you if you flip that coin and it comes up twenty heads out of it comes up nineteen heads out of twenty flips, maybe that's random. But you'd be justified in saying, you know, uh, hey buddy, I think you did not give me a fair coin. There's you know something with this coin seems not random, and that's really what we do with the market. Which again is why you got to be humble. Because even with the best properly done statistical work, um, you know, there, there is all you're doing is saying, you know, there's a pretty good chance this is not random and you're hoping that it continues into the future, et cetera, et cetera. But that's really what it means. And if you don't have that, if you don't have something 
that shows some edge over that random coin flip, then you'll make some money, you'll lose some money. But over the long run, you're really very unlikely to come out ahead. Okay, right. So, so you know, thanks a lot for really going into that and, you know, trying to make it a little bit clearer for us. That's really good. Um, now, there's a common criticism that surrounds technical analysis and it is um, a lot of people say it only deals with the past. Now, I've heard you sort of quote that, you know, this is a narrow-minded outlook. Um, so, would you like to expand on this and maybe explain why you do not believe this statement to be true? Well, I mean, it's kind of, first of all, it's kind of silly because what analysis deals with the future? You know, whatever, whatever you're looking, you only have the past. That's one of the craziest things people say. Um, yes, a chart is a record of past prices. But, you know, anything we put in a fundamental model, you know, if you're looking at earnings growth, if you're looking at a company's debt, if you're looking at how capital structure shifted over years, you're looking at CapEx, so you're looking at ratios, uh, you know, if you start to look at macro factors. What are you looking at? You're looking at history. That's all we have. So where the whole point of this is, and this is where maybe we cross a line from traditional technical analysis to what I think is more useful, which is more of a quantitative approach, is where we're able to say when these conditions have existed in the past, then this has happened in the future. Now, look what I just said. I just identified an edge. When condition, when condition A has historically existed, so, you know, so what you're doing is you're looking at a point in the market. Um, let's, uh, let's just use something real. Let's say you're looking at a point where uh, some stock index has been up five days in a row. And, you know, you say, okay, so when this market has been up five days in a row, going forward, it has acted like this. And that action in the future from that point A is looks like it was not random. I'm just kind of trying to keep things general here. So then what we would say, well, when we see that condition again now, today is the day this market has been up five days in a row. So now I know, assuming the future looks something like the past, which is the great assumption we have to make, um, there is a probability see the word there is a probability of this happening in the future which is not random and i can place a bet on that with correct position sizing manage my risk that's how you trade that that is the kind of the essence of technical quantitative trading and it's based off of if i don't go back what am i going to make my decisions on otherwise i can't make my decisions on the future it's unknown um if I don't, if I don't go back and look at the past, I don't understand how the market has acted historically. Then I have no basis for making decisions in the future. Uh, all I have is that information. But what really matters is not the record in the past; it's what has happened in the future, and then the uh, you know implications I can draw for the present and the near future. Okay, right, and I sort of presume that. I'll- the majority of the people who sort of stand by that statement probably come from the side of fundamental and sort of more news-driven trading. 
Well, I think that's silly too, though, because, you know, fundamentals are, and, and, and by the way, you know, I, I would encourage anybody learning to trade, you need a comprehensive trading education. I, if you, if you are going to be a technical trader, you know, you might say, well, I'll never need to rip a balance sheet apart. I'll never need to capitalize expenses. I'll never need to be able to build a DCF model. I never need to understand ratio analysis, but why not? What, 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 why would you, why would you not do that? When we trade doctors, we, you know, when we train doctors, we train them in all aspects of medicine to get a broad education. Should be the same thing with trading, you know. And if you, if you don't have, if you, if you can't rip that balance sheet apart, if you can't understand how the cash flow statement comes, you know, if, if you don't understand those things, then you can't really answer that criticism. So I think people need to develop those tools. But the, uh, you know, the news already happened the news is historical and the news is already priced in so you know i I think the people who make those arguments are they're just kind of people like to make off-the-cuff arguments like you know who knows if warren buffett ever said i don't use technical analysis because i turned the chart upside down and it said the same thing to you know i I mean people just say those kinds of silly nonsensical things that may or may not even be true i i I don't know i I don't know who says that sorry for the rant (laughs) Don't want to get you wound up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's too late. <laughs> so are you with the train of thought that patterns are perhaps more reliable if they can be identified by the majority of traders? Or do you feel there is sort of an opposite effect to this and that makes them maybe less reliable? I know I that's kind of a broad question, um, but just generally speaking. It's a broad question, but generally speaking, everything that I've ever seen that really works is pretty simple and pretty obvious. Um, I, I don't think, uh, you know, I think by the time that you are into, like I, I was advising a quant team one time that came to me and said, you know, do you think if we found uh, something in the third moment of the distribution of cocoa prices that seems to have significance for the S&P three months out, do you think that would be something that would be worth looking at? I said, no, you know, of course not. Uh, I think anytime you have something that's kind of, uh, that's very obtuse, um, everything that works is pretty simple. And it's, it's pretty with a dose of market driven common sense i guess but i would not be i would not be concerned that you have to have a secret pattern that other people don't see because i i just i don't think they exist okay right and this is kind of something you sort of touched on a little bit earlier and that is sort of using multiple time frames in your analysis how do you go about um you know viewing these multiple time frames and then making a decision from them and are you only trading sort of one of those time frames. Do you want to just talk a little bit about that that topic? Well, yeah, I think, you know, first of all, you don't need multiple time frames. Um, you, I use them as a crutch to help me get through all those charts so quickly, but you definitely, with, with a little bit of education, and by a little bit of education, I mean a few days or a few weeks. This is not something, I remember somebody told me, you know, price action takes three years to learn. No, maybe learning to trade takes three years, but there's nothing in trading is analytically that difficult. So a few days, a few weeks of of looking at charts and 
you can look at a daily chart and have a pretty good idea what the weekly chart looks like. Or you can look at the weekly chart and make some guesses about what happened on the daily. When you drill down, you don't really know, right? Because you don't necessarily know how that bar was formed. Uh, so it's certainly possible to read a single time frame and to be able to infer multiple time frame, time frame influences. But when, when I'm flipping through a lot of charts very quickly, it's just easier to have the two there. Uh, also, sometimes I will trade weekly charts, and I'll specifically say, you know, this is, a, this is a weekly trade, and you have to use weekly risk. You have to manage it appropriately on the weekly time frame, which honestly means you do very little for the most part. Um, I, I do think it's very dangerous. One of the things that gets people in trouble, unless it's part of your trading plan, it can be done if it's planned, but to get into a trade and then switch time frames without proper justification. So you get in to um, you know you get into a trade and keep bumping it up on time frames, and you take a very large loss on a scalp. That happens to people. Um, or you get into a weekly trade. I've seen literally literally seen this uh somebody get into a weekly trade and then be out a few hours later because they didn't like action on a five minute chart what are you talking about utter nonsense uh, so it is important to realize what time frame you're trading what information is relevant to that time frame and and stick with that uh, i think probably you know i mean multiple time frame trading is something that's almost a buzzword that's being sold to people like it it solves all the problems and it really doesn't it, you know the, the the essence of trading i think can be can, can be captured on a single time frame and whatever t multiple time frame influences you want probably most people are better off inferring them from a single chart than worrying too much about what's lining up on different time frames okay sure sure so I'd like to move along a little bit and ask you about a topic, uh, consistency. So how crucial is consistency to the success of your trading approach? Like um, sort of applying it the same way. I mean, even if you're not like a sort of hard and fast systematic trader, how important is consistency in your, in your approach? Well, so my approach is a blend of discretionary and quantitative tools. But the way I think of it is that it is um, it, it flows both ways. You know, so it's my discretion is definitely informed and influenced by quantitative tools. I'm not just doing things because I want to do them. I'm doing things because I understand when this happens that this usually happens in the market. Um, there's also, and you know, a topic that I think might not be appreciated enough is that that discretion or intuition also influences the quantitative research because somebody has to say at some point, "Hey, let's look at this. Let's go in this direction." So it's you know, th th these things to me work together, but um, it is a very disciplined approach. And I am very consistent. You know, for instance, as we, we were talking before the interview started, uh, markets have been difficult for the past few months. And I just, I know that I will have strings of winning trades and I will have strings of losing trades. And, you know, there was a period, there was a period last year, particularly in currencies, when it was like, I couldn't do anything wrong. You know, every time I looked at a market, it was a winning trade. And some of these trades went on for months and months and months. And, um, 
you, you know when you're doing that well, you're not really that good. And you also, you know, you'll go through periods where you'll have lots and lots of losing trades and you're not that bad. And if it really takes the emotional charge away, your job is to simply execute the trades, to execute the system with complete consistency and discipline. And then, you know, you know, the other side of consistency. So you have consistency on the side of your behavior, which is critical. And then you have consistency on the side of your results. And you just have to know your results are not going to be as consistent as you wished. And you can make them less consistent by being less consistent with your behavior. But, you know, there, there is definitely this all ties together, right? This goes back to understanding how thin those statistical edges are and the type of consist. It is possible to make consistent money in the market. But what does that consistent money look like? Well, you know, most mature traders know that that definition of consistency is not what they thought it was going to be when they started trading. It does not mean that your equity curve is a straight line. Uh, it doesn't mean that your trading account is an ATM machine that always and reliably produces money. But over the long run, consistency certainly is achievable. Okay. And then taking sort of while we're on the topic of consistency, taking that aside from the market and applying the same sort of um, consistency to your routine and your study and sort of the time you put into learning how to trade or learning to become a trader like we talked about earlier, are you doing yourself a disadvantage if you're not um, sort of giving yourself a, a solid routine that you're sort of sticking to throughout the week? Well, I think that, I mean, I think that varies with, it, it could vary. Um, the consistency, I think there, there's a certain amount of what you're doing here is you're probably actually rewiring your brain and growing some new connections in your brain and learning some new ways to look at information, learning some new tool, behavioral tools for dealing with emotions. And these things take time and those changes are not going to happen unless you give the brain the correct stimulus uh, over and over and over. So you do need some consistency. On the other hand, you know, I talked about this being a trading journey and it's not a, it's not necessarily a linear journey. It's not a straight line. Uh, Tolkien, right? Uh, all those who wonder are not lost. And there definitely is a point in your trading journey for doing some wondering. And, you know, part of my trading journey took me through a formal apprenticeship with a French chef. So, you know, there, there are, um, I think this is at, at some point your trading journey kind of intertwines with your life story. And it, it may certainly for some people the very regimented, very, you know, I had a composition teacher who uh, every day sharpened a certain number of pencils and sat down to compose music. And when the pencils were dull, he was done for the day. And that, that, that was his routine. Um, it works for some people, but then there are other people who need a little bit more room to breathe. And I think, I think it's really most people probably could benefit with more from more discipline and there, there's a place for that but there's also a place for leaving enough breathing room in the journey yeah okay now that's that's a really good point you brought up so uh this is probably sort of moving along to psychology a little bit and um i listened to a recent interview you did with stock twits 
and you spoke in great detail about meditation, which was pretty interesting. So while we won't go into it anywhere as near as much detail as you did then, what are your views on meditation? Like, how do you go about this? And does it actually have a positive impact on your trading? Well, I think it's a powerful tool. And, you know, I've written and talked a lot about meditation and hypnosis. Those are two different things, but uh, they're, they're both tools that people can use to to kind of rewire themselves in some ways. Uh, you know, you can increase your learning capacity. You can decrease your need for sleep. Uh, you can modify your behavior. You can, for instance, it's possible with hypnosis, and I, I know the question is on meditation, but it's possible to have somebody, let's say, you, um, let's say you're a day trader and you can't execute at your stop. So it's possible to hypnotize that person and to put them in the experience where they see the market coming down to their stop and they have the emotional reaction, they have the panic, and then they do the right thing. So you actually have that experience as a learning experience and hypnosis. And then you can say, do it again and do it again. And then you can say, you, time is kind of strange. So you can say, uh, in the next 60 seconds, you're now going to have this learning process a thousand times. You're, 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 you're going to, and the thing is, a thing that is amazing, I know if you've never experienced that, you know, you're thinking I'm talking utter nonsense, but it works. And it, it is a powerful tool for affecting change and for, uh, you know, build, building new relation, new, new behavioral connections. Um, meditation and, and again, you know, I would also point out that these are powerful tools and they can have bad effects too. So you, you definitely need to educate yourself. You need to go into them with a good deal of respect. Um, they're not that they're not cure-alls and uh, you use poorly or for the wrong thing. You, you will be unhappy with the results. But meditation can definitely lead to a kind of clarity at, at the very least. You know, may, maybe it does a lot more, but what, what, it, what it certainly can do is uh, can, can help you understand who you are, understand what's driving you, understand your emotions, and help you uh, help you understand the kind of spider web of connections and influences that play on you constantly. And I think it can lead to a kind of clarity and control that can be very useful for a trader. None of this is a magical cure. Nothing is a you know silver bullet you know, uh, but but they are tools that they're powerful tools that probably more traders can be making better use of. Okay, right, and I know you've got a lot more to say on that topic, so I might um I might put a link to that interview um, if anyone's interested to to hearing more about that in the show notes at chatwithtraders.com. Okay, thank you. Please do. Also, um, you know, I have on I, I, on one of my websites, I have a guided meditation experience, which if somebody has never meditated, I was very pleased with how this worked out, but it's just a series of a very short recordings each day, a very, very short lesson, 30 seconds to a minute and a half, and then a very reasonable amount of time, five to 10 minutes spent in meditation. It's a good way for somebody to experience it. We touch on a lot of different techniques. So I've had several thousand people go through that experience and the feedback has just been overwhelmingly positive. Everybody from, uh, you know, I had a Buddhist monk 
contact me and you know just raving about what I had put into this experience and you know said, said he'd sat in meditation for many hours every day for the past 30 years of his life and somehow he found so you know with 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 all with all humility I, I do think this is something that has been able to make a difference for some people so it's I'll give you the link for that too it might be something people want to check out yeah for sure we'll put that in the the show notes I can't say it's something I've ever done but um I mean, I'm interested to, to read a little bit more about it. So, yeah, for sure. We'll add that link into the show notes. Thank you. So we should probably start to wind things down, um, but this has been incredible. So let's just um, do two last questions to take us out. So sure. in, your, in your mind, what's the number one reason you believe why such a large majority of traders never reach the high level of success they originally intend on? False expectations. I, I could just leave it there. Um, I, I think when most people go into this, they don't understand. They don't understand what success looks like. They don't understand what success looks like along the way or their ultimate success. Uh, they go into it f- expecting something other than what they're going to get. Um, they go into it maybe for the wrong reasons, but I think the number one reason is just false expectations. False expectations, I like it. That's that's great advice. So is there one final piece of advice you'd like to leave with anyone who's listening to this? Um, I don't mean to put you on the spot. <laughs> well, I mean, it's the nature of the interview to be put on the spot. Uh, it's a very good question. You know, I always think that like when people say, what's the most important thing? It's a very hard question. It's kind of an artificial question, right? Because it's like, you know, what's the most important part of an airplane? Do you want the wings, the engine, the door, the fuel? It's like you kind of have to have it all. And I guess maybe that, maybe the answer is there. Maybe what you have to realize is that this is a process of growing, that your success, your success depends very much on you having the right tools, most of the things you're looking at that people tell you work probably do not work, but ultimately your success is really going to be depend on a combination of all of these things. You are an important part of that. Your psychology is an important part of that, but focusing too much on any one of these things is probably a dead end. For instance, focusing only on trading psychology, the answers aren't there. Focusing only on statistics, the answers aren't there. Focusing only on money management, you know, same thing. But you you have to have all of these things. You have to have all these things working together. And ultimately, this is why people say, and it's true, you have to develop a trading style that really fits you because it it, it won't work unless all these pieces work together and they're, they're all working in the same direction. Yeah, that's great. I think that's very well said, Adam. So Thank you. Let's, um, let's wrap this up. Um, before you go, do you want to share with listeners where they can find out more about you? Because um, I know you've, you've got your own podcast, you've got a book, you've got a lot going on. So tell us where we can find out more about you. Certainly. Okay. So I will do my little elevator speech here. <laughs> so uh, do check out my blog, www.adamhgrimes.com. Uh, I write there, I try to put out anywhere from three to six things a week. I do have a mailing list in the upper right-hand corner. If you could put your email address in there, I will send you a PDF of the latest little book I wrote, which is uh, basically taking somebody from the very beginning to having early tools for looking at markets in a quantitative way. It's a book I really wished I had when I started trading, and it's free. It's also, you know, if you want to 
if you want a hard, you know, a hard copy, you can get that, but I can't give you that for free. But you know, I have links. You can look at that. Also, I did write a book, The Art and Science of Technical Analysis, published by Wiley in 2012, and uh, I know that book has been very well received and has, uh, you know, certainly helped a lot of traders think about putting all of these pieces together. And you know, when, when I wrote that book, um, I knew I wanted to write a book. I didn't know what kind of book I wanted to write and uh, Mike Bellafiore told me you know Adam the only way it makes sense for you to write a book is if you end up with a book that you can look at as a gift to the trading community and so I yeah, some of the best advice I ever got and I let that advice uh, shape my approach to the book and it is it's it's a part of my journey, but it's very much something that I wished I had had many, many years ago. So, you know, do check that out. Also, as you mentioned, I have a podcast that's uh, uh, a lot of fun, and that's kind of been a grow, growing experience for me. So I've certainly liked that people check that out. And also follow me on Twitter at Adam H. Grimes. I guess I should also mention uh, I have a firm, Waverly Advisors, www.waverlyadvisors.com. Uh, we publish daily market research and notes. So it's a lot of these things that uh, you know, I talk about kind of in the abstract. Uh, we, we offer a pretty extensive free trial, and I get on the phone and have a chat with people at some point during that. Uh, but it's, it's interesting to see how these tools apply to – I look at it as kind of like the uh, active – laboratory uh, version of uh, of these abstract concepts applied to real markets in real time and that's that's a lot of fun and kind of interesting too awesome so there's a lot there and i'll make sure that links to all of that uh with this interview at uh chatwithtraders.com forward slash adam so if you just go there you can find links to everything you mentioned and um i just want to point out that uh your book um the art and science of technical analysis was also uh, strongly recommended as a must-read by Lance Beggs, who was an awesome guest on, um, I think it was episode number 13. So, Thank you, yes. Yeah, all right. Well, um, this has been incredible speaking with you, Adam. And so again, thanks so much for coming on. So take care and uh, let's talk soon. Thanks for having me. A lot of fun. You've come to the end of this episode of Chat with Traders, but don't worry, more great episodes are on the way. To stay updated with each great new episode, be sure to subscribe to the podcast in iTunes, and we'd love it if you leave us a rating and review. We'll see you next time on Chat with Traders.